G'day, Jimbo here. Before we get started on this podcast, just want to, first of all, thank you all for stopping by and listening in. Appreciate it. We've had a few minor issues with this episode and we've lost Pedro for a portion of it. Unfortunately, we can't remember what we were talking about, but where I can piece things together, I've added in the questions made by myself. You'll be able to tell this because I had a bit of a cold at the time, so you'll be able to hear the difference or see the difference if you're watching this on video. Otherwise, enjoy. So I wasn't going to. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the new hat you're wearing, Pedro? Uh, yeah, I got this uh, last December. Comes out on occasions. Oh, flash. Yeah. Do you Did want you one? Get... Yeah, yeah. If it comes with a ride in the new XL, the Super Pack. Yeah, yeah. It, there is a Super Pack one, but I didn't get one of those. But, yeah, they showed it to me, but no. Oh, so there is one. There is a Super Pack hat. Yes. Oh. I think Someone's you have to, gonna have to find that for pack. us. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Jimbo, are you yeah. sure you're all right? Me? No. No, I feel like shit. <laughs> I've been struggling all day with my daughter. Oh, man, trying to entertain her. It's been terrible weather here too, so we couldn't go outside. So trying to contain a three-and-a-half-year-old. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing worse than when you're not feeling well, eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's worse than being hung over. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have had a good night beforehand. Instead, I've just got the hangover and no fun night. <laughs> oh, weather's good over here, though. Is it? Should have come here. Good, yeah. good weather on the west coast, is it? Always, mate. On uh, the best coast. Always sunny. <clears throat> Fucking cold. Oh, that's a good good segue, isn't it? Weather. We could talk yeah. about weather. Jimbo's like, a bit under the weather. Yeah. There we yeah. go. That, <laughs> it was all because a fella, a good friend of mine, PT, he asked us ages ago, he wants us to talk about tailwinds. Mm. Yeah. Oh, have we lost Pedro? I can hear you. My video's gone. Yeah. Oh, there you are. I can hear you. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, he doesn't. Oh, he wants to know a bit more about about working in uh, in a tailwind. Why we do it, the pros and the cons. So, Hoddy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'd always just go home. Over to you, Hoodie. Any excuse to go home? Yeah. Nah. I don't know. There's lots of. Um... Reasons why you carry on with the tailwind, and there's lots of times that you can work with the tailwind, no problem at all. So yeah, so so the I guess the first one, why why do we work in a tailwind at all, or more specifically, why do we take off with a tailwind when every airport in the world pretty much only ever takes off into wind? Because a lot of our strips are only one way strips. Why? Because a lot of them are sloping, the bins at one end generally, so uh, you can't afford to taxi all the way to the other end just to take off. Although you can do it if you're trying to get a job done, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so the economy's come into it 
Yeah. Well, there's not really places in New Zealand that you would be able to do a two-way strip. There's the odd one that you can, where you've got a big, when it's down in a valley, where you've got a big flat. But um, even then, it's a pain in the ass backtracking, isn't it, to go the other way? Yeah. So it's just the farms that they're using the land they've got. And if anyone there knows what New Zealand looks like, it's usually not flat. So we've only got hills, so we use hills. And like I reckon a, a hill, I'd rather work off a hill strip, like taking off downhill with a drop off than work off a flat strip. Mm. Like an, a flat strip that's a K long is sometimes worse than a, steep strip that's only a couple of hundred metres long and that's even taking into account a tailwind on takeoff on the short strip, a short steep one. Yeah. If you've got a good drop off. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now there's there's plenty of strips so you can can get a full can off um with a tailwind and uh, no no worries at all. Yeah, there's one air strip. Uh just in the King Country, that I think it's only two twenty to thirty meters long or something, real steep one that you can't, you can't. Um, if you land too far at the bottom, you you struggle to get to the top of it, even in a Cresco with, with all the donkeys there. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to keep your speed up and your power on the whole way up until you're just about near the top, yeah. and then pull it back. Yeah. What's your approach speed coming into land? I think I think around eighty. Like I always I think I'm I'm touching down uh decelerating through sixty knots in a Cresco. I think. I know it can land a lot slower, but that's about what I do. I don't use flaps when I land. And and so that doesn't matter what angle the airstrip is. Like if it's flat, you just do a a different approach or, you know, the same approach, you're coming down over the fence and you're touching down at 60 knots. But on a an angled strip, you're, you're coming faster to allow for the aircraft having to flare in a climb, basically. Yeah. So you, you might be doing, I, I think 80 knots is something that's in my head, but I, yeah, I honestly don't know. I normally... You know, like once you get used, yeah, once you get used to the plane, you're not really looking at the airspeed, which is another funny one. Is hey, is Pe- Pedro's face changing for you, Hoodie? Is it still stuck? Oh, yeah. I can't see Pedro at all. Okay, yeah. It's stuck on him blinking with a smiley face for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. What else is there? Um, Tailwinds, the bloody. The biggest thing is just. A lot of the problem is picking up stones. Like that was a lot of the time the main oh, the main reasons that I'd stop because you couldn't couldn't stop at picking up stones and and getting chips in the propeller. You mean that's right? Yeah. So yeah. once you've got that tailwind and you, and you turn back around with your ass into the into the wind, it just it just picks up so many stones. Yeah, I found I got that the worst on airstrips that are. Sealed, yeah. It'd it'd pick up more of those little stones. You could sit there. We had one real good strip, um, just south of, just north of, sorry, of National Park. There's a real cool strip, sealed one, 
nice big flat loading area and then it drops off real steep and there'd always be a tail in there. It wouldn't matter though because it's up real high. You can fall off, you can carry whatever you want all day, any day. Yeah. But we'd always stop for that reason because that tailwind and you'd sit there getting a load on a on a sealed loading area and all you could hear is tink, tink. Yeah. And it's the little little stone <laughs> chips worse, down eh? into the prop. Yeah. Especially if it's a good day and you're just hearing tink, tink. Yeah. Do you reckon pulling it back into ground idle helps? I I always do. And no. That's right. So no, it doesn't help. Or maybe it helps, but it it doesn't stop it. Yeah. 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 I think it's the airflow, isn't it? Causing the little vortices that picks him up. Like if you're standing outside of a plane, you can see yeah, it, see him. Yes, it's when the airflow starts coming from behind it, you can see him swirling up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got a doozy in the air tractor a couple of years ago on a a dirt strip that had a lot of shingle underneath it. It was like one of those old riverbed areas. But it was dirt and and um not sealed. It was rolled. So they had the roller go through it several times, but just sitting there with the tailwind, just enough, and then got a real big nasty chip out of it one day. That was, yes, had to write paperwork for that. It wasn't fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's your best one, uh, What's that, mate? What's your best one? Best what? Stone, stone, stone chips. Uh, okay. st- well, I've had prop strikes opposed to stone chips. Oh, yeah, it yeah, was even better. <laughs> um, it was when we first put the XL onto top dressing, and she yeah. had a lot less. It was set up like a factory, and it had a lot less um, fluid, no yes. oil in the uh, nose, so it sat quite yeah. a bit lower because the yeah. prop's about two inches longer, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, first one came up onto an uh, airstrip and turned around, and my nose was low, and I um, picked up a couple of tink-tinks, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not happy with this. Flew all the way to Napier from Taupo. Yeah. Got, went to the engineer, said it needs lifting up. Nah, nah, it's all good, boy. It's all good. Get out there. Went back out there, landed, and then, yeah, and just picked up a, like a, oh, just no. touched it. Yeah. What did you say to that right. engineer? Live and learn. Uh, like it's the engineer's <laughs> fault, not yours. <laughs> no, nah, it's my fault. I'm still piloting command, aren't I? But um, oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, yeah. and then the, ne- <laughs> the next one was um, someone else had been working on as another airstrip, same plane, my same plane, um, and we hadn't done anything after that. The nose, well, we put more gas in it, but it still had the ability to come down because if you put more oil. It stops it from being able to drop as low, whereas yeah. gas just ma- makes it bouncy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, oh, come yeah. down the airstrip, and someone else had been there prior, uh, and they had um, dug some pretty good ruts in the in the loading area. With um, in the loading area, you come in, you came in from the. I guess I was sitting on the left side of the airstrip and turning right, and as you turn right, you go up. So, he's a, so the props sort of is always a bit closer to the ground because you're going up into rising terrain. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
there was some pretty decent ruts dug, but the cocky went and smoothed it all over with a blade, but it was all soft and mud. And so I come in and I land, and the wheels just slip into this ruts and just tink again. I was like, oh, motherfucker. Was Jimbo but, there not long before you? Yeah, well, like, um, and again, that was a Cresco working here prior, so they had more prop clearance. So it must have been pretty close as it was. But after that, we changed it. So we put, I think we added an extra inch of hydraulic fluid into the nose leg, and it yeah. just holds it. It holds it up higher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See the the thing that um, maybe other people, other listeners might not understand with the nose wheel. It might sound like just pump it up as much as you want, but in actual fact, the the nose wheel steering is directly linked to how. Oh, what do you call it? How yeah, how far right. extended the nose actually is? How much shiny bit you got out? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the more shiny bit you got, the more prop clearance you got, but the less the less turn, less, yeah. less steering on the ground you got. Which yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what it was like around your area, and in our area, it was shocking for some loading areas. It's quite tight, confined. Yeah. Yeah, we had some tight places. But yeah, and like again, yeah, the gas just makes it bouncier um, because if the gas is compressible, whereas the hydraulic fluid's not compressible. Mm. So yeah, the way to safeguard is have more hydraulic fluid in your nose leg. So it just won't physically come down as low. That, and it, and it is a juggling act too, isn't it? Because not only has it got your steering in it, but that's all. Um, once that's engaged, it's hooked up to your rudder as well, so you can actually snap that. Yeah, only only two two prop strikes for me. Hey, Peter, <laughs> really. bloody well, mate. It was good. It was good learning curves for people who now fly Chris uh, the XLs. So hey, we made some changes. Paved the way. Guinea <laughs> yeah. pig Pedro. Yeah, <laughs> the amount of times I took off of that hopper lid open. Or um, my other favourite one, because like uh, the other favourite of the XL was, um, you know, you fly your Cresco, you got that little mirror, so when the loader comes in on your blind side, you can see him on your little mirror. Yes. Yeah. So when he's out of the way, he's clear. Well, they put this little mirror in the XL, but it's too big and it's too much of a blind spot and you couldn't actually see him when he's on your blind side. Like you could see when he pulled away, but you couldn't see if he was clear or not. Yeah. And so I used to just see he pulled away, gave it a few seconds, and then fed her up and go. But really, just relying on a lot of luck. Yeah. And this one yeah. time he pulled away, saw him pull out of the mirror, but his wheels were just spinning in place. And old Pedro fats it up and whack with the <laughs> just a <the> fearing, <laughs> the, the the elevator fearing. So yeah, another after that we got a camera put up the top. So when the oh. Open. Yeah. What's that, mate? I, I was going to say because at the start you didn't have that camera because you were in the first one, weren't you? Yeah, that yeah, the... that's right. Guinea pig, oh, yeah. guinea yeah. pig. Yeah. Well, the first, the first one that we put on at Farmers Air put on. There was two other ones. Um, yeah, that, in the King Country the factory had built. Yeah, so mm. it was JPU. Yeah. Did, did they have and... cameras in there? There's just a camera I in the don't... hopper. In the hopper, yeah. Yeah, it's just right in the hopper, which <laughs> just get sandblasted and you couldn't fucking see anything anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I heard from one of the loader drivers that used to load the very first XLs, and he was saying, like, because there was no alarm 
linked to either the hopper lid or the flaps. So this guy, that was it was always his thing that if the lid was open or the flaps were not down, he'd be straight on the radio saying flaps, 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 or lid, lid, lid. And he did yeah. that. The only reason he was doing that is because one day he saw him take off with either one or both of them in the wrong position. So the lid might have still been up and or the flaps had not been lowered. And I think it was off the base strip and then got to the end of it and she was not flying because, as, as you know, without flaps, she's, I, I, she's a bit longer to get airborne. Mm. Rip the fence yeah. off there. So, like, the, when we first got going, like, it was a pretty – it was a system we had, but, like, the flat motor would fail quite regularly, but the yeah. flat gauge never actually indicated it had failed. And so the flat gauge would do this and, like, <laughs> you just put it down and you think it's set, but it ain't. And uh, you go to go take off and like everything's going great and you go to pull back and you're like, oh, nothing's home. And like with the XL, the only thing you can do is dump and like and hold the nose down and fly it to the fence and hop over. And so that had a, happened a few times to me. And then the hopper lid, again, wasn't the best system, but the system we had, but it had like just a real, real easy little um, micro switch that could get knocked. And every time if the loader, put the load in too close when the plane sat back and knocked the lid, which knocked the micro switch. So it wouldn't recognize it was, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't activate. Yeah. It, it stopped the system. And so you go to put the lid down. Um, and again, we didn't actually have anything to indicate if the lid was up or down. And so you go to fatter up and uh, everything's going great. And then, uh, yeah, you get airborne, everything's shaking. Like, the whole plane's just... And, like, um, again, not not the best system, but we had two split pins, uh, two shear pins. One was too soft and one's too hard. So if we had the soft one in, the it would break just as you're putting a load in quite regularly. Yeah. So quite often you just put the heavier duty one in, but it wouldn't break. Because the idea was the shear pin was meant to break if you take off um, with the lid open, but it wouldn't break. And so you take off, like, there's one airstrip, Burke's got airborne, and, like, the whole plane's just shaking, like, what the fuck's going on here? And uh, so to start dumping the load and did a dump out here, and the whole plane's shaking, and, and just as I'm in the flare, the ship and finally decided to let go, and it just went whack, <laughs> like, how big thump, and you land, you're like, ah, the fucking lid. <laughs> so, but we changed the system. So we changed it to a hydraulic system that drove the flaps and the lid, and we we're bloody reliable. And we also put an actual physical indicator for the flaps, so it moved with mm. the flaps. And yeah. we put a horn, and we put a camera, so you could see the lid up or down. So mm. yeah, it, yeah, that system it, that's in there now, it's good. Yeah, that's yeah, really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I did a um, uh, what was I going to say? I had a couple of stories about about that. Oh, I was working off one airstrip, and it was quite a good airstrip, big job, few thousand ton. I was there for a few weeks, and it was probably mid afternoon, and I was I was going to do another load, and then thought, oh no, I'll grab some gas now rather than do my load and gas up. So I already had my load in the plane. And then told my load to drive, I'll grab grab some gas now and have a quick bite to eat. 
I think it was afternoon tea time, had a quick yarn for a minute with him, jumped back in the plane, and had been calm all day and blue sky, and it was still pretty calm, and jumped back in like nothing had changed essentially, and powered up, and this airstrip sort of, uh, it's gentle slope and it kind of increases as you get towards the end of it, and you sort of take over, take off over a little dam, and then it, and it opens right up. You drop right down into a big valley, so it's quite a good strip. You just need to be airborne before the dam sort of thing. And as I was getting getting uh, getting underway, and I was I was sort of at the spot where I knew I was going just a little bit too slow, and I needed to get rid of just a wee little tiny bit. But I also had these new hydraulic systems that were in the Cresco at the time, and they just put in this fancy new um, this little button eject button, which meant when you take <laughs> off, you can keep your hand on the power lever, and it's literally with your hand there. It's literally where your finger is if you make your hand into a pistol. So if you get into the into the pot, you just press this button, and it slams the doors open. And I thought, oh yeah, well. I told the engineers I'd try and get used to this system and that's where I was on this takeoff and I, all I needed to do was get rid of a little tiny bit but I couldn't. I was at that point, like the the whole way I was dicking around like, oh, oh it's close but not close enough. I should be right but I, I need to get rid of some and then it was too late. I, need, I have to get rid of some now and it was too quick for me to move my hand to open the lever a little bit. So tap that little tiny button and it slammed the doors open and the whole plane just shot straight up into the air, <laughs> took the whole load out into the dam. It was a, I don't know, one one point nine two ton of super. And uh, I guess a non-event after all of that, I had to come back and land because the whole thing cycles, it gets rid of the hydraulic pressure in the, in the whole system. So you can't tap the button and then quickly close it. It yeah. just dumps all of the pressure, and yeah. you got to wait for it. So the whole load's gone. Turn back around long enough to still see the big, big plume of dust shifting across slowly, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, had a quick look around, couldn't see any quad bikes or anything, so the farmer didn't see. All good. Then went back, carried on, went down a couple of hundred, and carried on about my day. An hour or so later, the farmer turns up just to have a yarn as he normally does when we're about to go home. He says, oh, oh, I see you um, get letting the grass grow in the dam there. So yeah. oh, the, the one and only <laughs> load where I've dumped there <laughs> and you happened to look up when I was doing that. <laughs> Explain mm, the whole thing to him. I thought it was funny. But yeah, <laughs> good times. I had a similar sort of thing when we, when we went to hydraulics, but I think our hydraulic system was slightly different. Uh, it's just a little joystick where your hopper lever would be, and it was either locked down so nothing could happen, armed, which you could um, push a button that would sew, or you want if you wanted to go full dump, you just pull the joystick all the way back to the full dump position. And so I got under the habit was halfway down the takeoff roll when I you know at that decision point I'd always take it out of lock and put it into the arm so if I had to let some out I could just push a button and start sewing. And then once you get airborne, I just leave it in the arm position. And it's one particular day I was doing urea and uh, went over a bit of a little bit of a ridge and just got a bit of a bump. 
as you do. <laughs> and that little bump pushed it for um, joystick from the arm position into the full dump position. <laughs> and by the time I realised what had happened, like the plane just rocketed it up and I just realised, fuck, and just closed the doors, but it was too late. It was all gone. And I think it was like 1.8 <laughs> tonne of urea <laughs> next to the road. <laughs> was it that <laughs> What was oh, that, again, Wasn't that the whole job? Like, wasn't it just a 1.8 ton job? No, I think it was a three ton job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so two loads. <laughs> Became a one like- load job. <laughs> <laughs> Crop didn't perform quite so well that year. Yeah. But like it it happened right next to the road, so everyone driving up this road could just see this big dead part, you know, grass. (laughs) Yeah, so fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. It happens. I once flew through a when I was doing the survey stuff. Flew through a a microburst. Is that what they're called? With it, I'll explain the whole thing. We were flying back. From from the block, we were surveying an hour and a half inland from the border of Ethiopia, no, of Angola and Namibia. So we were staying in Namibia because it was slightly nicer there, and we were staying in a town right on the border and flying an hour and a half into Angola and doing a survey there. And we finished this one day coming back and the weather was turning sour. I think it must have been that monsoon or whatever it's called, the wet season. And in front of us, where we needed to go, coming from one side, you could see like the whole guts falling out of the sky. So we kind of did a detour track to go around it. And we kind of ended up inside it, but I still think we must have been on the fringe of it, and it started pelting down, and we were... We were at a point where we were uh, at full power. So firewall, this is an XLA back then, so it was a little bit underpowered at the time. And full power doing 90 knots and descending at 1,500 feet a minute. And the beta light came on all, all at once, and it was pelting down. You could hear the rain. It was... It was horrific. And I remember, I can't remember who I was with, but I remember both of us were confused, wondering what's going on. Like we thought the beta, like the prop had gone haywire and actually gone into beta range in reverse and we were plummeting towards the ground. We were definitely going down, but we were obviously just stuck in that microburst, whatever it was called. And I assume a bit of water got stuck in that micro switch for the beta light which is what did that we eventually carried on i think we ended up down maybe 500 feet in that whole process from i don't know how high up we were a few thousand at least i'd think and and got through it and we could see where we were going like where we were landing but you could also see uh like the gust front you know and and it's like a desert type place and you could see like a wall of dust like in one of those movies and the runway itself was like two and a half k long it was from back in the war days the old fighter jets used to land on it and we came up 
lined up on this runway and the wind was that strong that we couldn't keep it on on a runway that's two and a half k's long and I don't know how wide, 60 metres wide or something. We'd be coming down about to touch down and all of a sudden we were blowing straight off onto the grass. And I remember shitting myself. And so much so, before we even landed, I told the other fellow that I was with to film it because it might get gnarly. And it did get gnarly, so all of this is on camera. And the same runway had a cross vector, a lot shorter one, but they also ploughed it up, so it was only gravel on the extremities and only sort of near the middle of it was it sealed. And I thought we'd there's no point trying to crash ourselves on this big long runway, let's try and do it royally on the short one. So went around and lined up on the cross vector and the wind was perfectly between the two runways as far as like the vectors go and where the actual wind was. So it was still windy as buggery. Managed to touch down on the sealed part and then reef it in reverse and stopped on a dime basically and then it's been a while since I looked at the video. I just remember looking or took some photos of the windsock and that's like pretty much pointing up. It was that windy. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> good good times, Namibia. Place to be. Jesus. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and then it would have been fine in 15 minutes. Yeah. Please. Yeah, pretty much was. It rained. It was real, real windy, so we – we got all packed up before the rain came, and then it did rain. And then, yeah, 15 minutes, half an hour later, it was all calm and nice weather and the birds are chirping and all that crap. <laughs> Crazy, eh? Yeah. Yeah, good fun. <coughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know what else is what, what else there is that happens with wind. The wind. The wind. The wind, fucked the wind. Eh? <laughs> the wind. <laughs> yeah, go home. Yeah. It just yeah. that prick, eh? Like, is you you having a good? It's the wind that always makes your day unenjoyable. Yeah. Do you have it in uh, in the King Country, specifically around where I was based? If we had a westerly of I don't know, like a westerly above the ground, not on the ground, of maybe 30, 35 knots, you could still work. But if we had an easterly of five knots, you'd have to go home because it would be rough as guts. Does you have, like, funny weather patterns yeah. like that? Northerly, eh, Pete? Northerly was – northerly, northerly. It'd be, it'd be a nice, calm day, and if the northerly was about yeah, – as soon as you got airborne, you're just getting thrown about sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, we like, yeah, in Wara, my little area, I'd broken it down to about eleven different microclimates. So depending on what way the wind came and what strength, I knew what area I could work, and particularly for how long, sort of thing. So mm. you know, thirty-five knot nor'wester, I could work at Marmar to about ten, ten thirty, eleven, sort of thing. Baby shit everywhere else. Um, yes, yeah, so it's like. You know, up the coast to Tolaga Bay, you know, northwester, you can work there all day, but it'll be shit everywhere else, sort of thing. Mm. So, like, yeah, I spent a lot of time sitting on airstrips working out, I guess, weather patterns and 
you know um you know wind strengths and wind directions and what works good and what doesn't sort of thing yeah just how so was that planning all, for a week yeah was that all finding out the hard way or did that knowledge get passed lot down of, to you a lot Nah, a lot of, uh, you know, Sam, when, like, when I first did my ag rating, like, you know, it'd get too windy, and the boss would make me sit out on the airstrip all day. Yeah. And just wait and see what the wind does. And so you go out <laughs> and wait and see what the wind does, you know. You know or, could, or, like, if I thought it was too windy, like, you used to, I think you used to get me in trouble a bit, saying, you're like, it's too fucking windy, just go home. I'd come home, and Andy'd be like, what are you doing, coming home? Get me out of here. <laughs> They'd just go back out being shut down. <laughs> What's the wind doing on the dab now? No, it's still too windy. So, um, yeah, but and then like I'd spend a lot of time driving. So on days that are marginal, I'd just drive out to the airstrip and go, oh, yeah, no, drive back and, yeah, and, and try an error. But, yeah, just, yeah, and then sort of just worked it out from that sort of thing. I was lucky I was in one area, you know, so I sort of yeah. worked one area and so I got to know it pretty well seems to be a good way to second yeah. guess yourself if you spend too much time traveling out to airstrips that's what yeah. i found yeah 100%. yeah well i i got to i got to the point where you just got to know before what the wind was doing and what your airstrips were and easy to make a decision you know mm. it was um first couple of years just learning yeah you know, so it'd be like oh it's a southwest is it good up at crookerwood well it's not too bad sort of thing yeah yeah. yeah, we'd have in the King Country if we had a sour Easter, and it had to be a sour Easter, it could blow as hard as it wanted, and you could you'd take off and you'd get the absolute shit kicked out of you. But if you went south to this valley around there, you'd as soon as you hit the valley, it'd be dead calm, and it'd be like that until. I think maybe eleven, eleven thirty, and that was we we assumed that the wind going around Ruapehu, like that was in the the wake of that, whatever you call it, because uh-huh. everywhere else was always horrific. But we knew we could always save if there's a southeaster coming up, we'd save all the work or get all the bins filled up mm. down that way, mm. and go do those and clean yeah. them out, and then go home, and everyone's wondering. Why we've gone to work in this crappy, windy weather? <laughs> so you, you would have the same like the old cockies, you know. You have some cockies you phone up and ask for a weather report, and they're really good. And then other ones are just like diabolical. They're like, "Oh yeah, oh. No, it's real good here. Like sunny day, really sunny." You're like, "Are you sure?" Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, it's good. I can see the sun. It's high cloud, sweet acid. You fly out there and you get out there. And the clouds at ridge tops and the airstrips at ridge top and like how the fuck do you expect me to land in the fucking cloud? Like where's the <laughs> oh, sunny just, sky you're talking about? Yeah. Just five <laughs> minutes ago. It was fine <laughs> until five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I and then I think I made a mistake. I had one cocky who was really good and I probably phoned him too much and he just got sick of the 5am phone calls, you know, like, because I'd be going to do his neighbours, but I knew his neighbour would always just give me some bogus report. So I'd phone him up <laughs> and he's like, yeah. he, he, what do you say? Is there no one else here uh, answer your phones this time of the morning? And I was like, no, you're just too good at, too good at uh, giving me honest weather reports. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. What? I, had, I had another cocky who who I wouldn't even dare phone because it'd be like an hour phone call. So I'd just email them. It <laughs> <laughs> was the only the only way you could get get contact him without getting sucked into an hour hour and a half phone call. So I sort of email him for a morning report. Jeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah, that's it. Those weather um, stations on your loaders purchase? Yeah, some of them we did. Yeah, I, those- I didn't use them too much, but yeah, they, I thought they were pretty good. Like they got rid of like all of the questions. But, but the the hardest one for me was like that's good for the wind and all that stuff, and if it's raining. But most of the time, at least in the King Country, it was all fog or cloud. Yeah, like clouds sticking to the um, against the hills, whether or not you'll get into the valley and and whatever. But yeah, no, I found them found them pretty good. You guys have them too. Had them too. No, no, no. Nah. Oh, a few of the stations had like weather station. Like some of the farms had weather stations, and they were good. Mm. But you had to again, you had to know what you're reading. You know, like mm. depending on where they were, because they could be on the windward side of a hill or the lee side of a hill. And so they weren't always giving you a true representation of what the wind was doing. So, mm, yeah. again, some would be good in certain wind directions, but crap in other ones, you know? Mm. Yeah. What was yeah, your I, guys? I guess it's all about getting that bigger picture, though, isn't it? Oh, that's yeah. about Pete, yeah. Yeah. What are you saying, Hoodie? I think your thing's cutting out again. I was just saying, what was your go-to app that you would use? Like everyone has a different idea of what's giving them the best weather, you know, like um, Met Service, Windy, what else is there? Met View. I've, Met View. I've had access to the best, yep. the absolute best. Ooh. And uh, so, you know, Met View or Windy, YR, all of those, like they all use the same data, right? And that. Yeah, it's how they interpret it. So yeah. that data is um, that's that's based off like say a square kilometer or a ten square kilometer area. They'll they'll average what it's like in that block. Mm-hmm. And um, there's this there's a company called Niwa. They're kind of like another version of Met Service, and they they've made a version that scales it down to 1500 square meter reading so it's it's like a highly refined or defined uh weather forecaster and it's brilliant and we had it when i was with super duper that you'd send in coordinates of all your airstrips or your passes if you're ferrying from a to b or your favorite fishing spots whatever and you'd send all that info to them and they'd put little markers on a on just like a google maps type setup and it would at a glance would be like a green dot a yellow dot or a red dot meaning the weather's good you know if it's within certain parameters if the wind was below X amount of knots and the cloud base was above this and visible, you know, all that crap. I don't know what the parameters were, but they were set to flying standard. If it was marginal on any area, it'd just 
be a yellow circle, but you could tap on any of them and it'll give you the forecast for the next 48 hours or might have been five days, but the next 48 hours was like in, I think, hourly increments. And it was so good that I could use it for when I was coming over to the best coast over your neck of the woods hoodie. It was the only place that would give me um, the accurate wind change times. Like there's a spot just, uh, what is it, north of Franz where the wind would funnel through this valley, but no other forecaster would would have that wind because it's very localised just to this valley that's right beside the town. Mm. And Niwa had, had all of that wind showing and I knew one morning I could go, instead of being on this airstrip, it was going to blow here until 10.30, but the other airstrip only 5Ks away, it was going to be fine all day. So I went to the other airstrip first and then came back and landed at quarter past 10. It was blowing in at like 10.30 within five minutes. The wind dropped and changed to exactly how it was, which is pretty cool. For, for something that's here and can tell you that sort of accuracy. And it's the same with, like I've just used it to, um, just to, I don't know, show other people, just friends of mine that got nothing to do with flying, just say, I've got this app and, oh, what's it going to do? I'll, it's blue sky today, but there's, there's, it's going to be foggy in three hours. And you wouldn't think so, but then it is foggy in three hours. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. not a free one. I rent it. It's it's not at the moment, but I think they're trying to trying to push to to make it publicly or commercially available. I don't know the full deal. I think something's going to happen at the the um, ag conference or aviation conference to do with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I went. I went to. I got to go to a Met seminar when I was at the CAA, and so they talked about all of that. Like, because NEA was the national. Institute of Water and Atmosphere Research. So it's a government oh, crown entity. For. Yeah. And <laughs> so they work along with Met Service. But because uh, they, they do all the research, you know, so they've got all this weather stations and water temperature probes and they're the ones who give out the annual, is it going to be La Nino or El Nino? But they were saying at this uh, seminar that <coughs> New Zealand's weather because um, it's all computer models, so they take all the information from all those, you know, all the data collecting sources, mm. and these computers predict what weather's going to be. And so they found New Zealand's weather as a UK weather model, uh, European weather model, and American one that they use to predict New Zealand's weather. And what they do, what what the New Zealand Met Service and they would do is they take the two most Lightly ones, so they like you, you, they get three different weather models, and there'll be one that's radically out from the other two. So they disregard that one, and they use the two that were similar, because they said they were saying in a seminar like certain weather patterns, different commute, uh, was it different computer models are more accurate than other ones, and so that's why they have the three different ones. So for different weather patterns, anyway, but so the computer predicts what weather's going to do based on the world weather system. But as as it's happening, all those um, weather stations that NIWA has all throughout New Zealand and in the ocean, as well as, I think, rain, the rain radars, 
they are automatically feeding into this main computer system that is constantly updating the forecast. So they're using real-time data to update the computer model. So that's why like, they can get it so accurate, like fog in four hours, because they've just seen a, a temperature change and a humidity change at that weather station, which is close by sort of thing. So yeah, like, right. the computer's constantly readjusting itself. So that, that's why your um, forecast is changing throughout the day. It's because it's – and it's taking satellite imagery. So it's taking – yeah, satellite imagery, rain radar, and um, – actual like wind temperature and humidity readings from all these weather stations throughout the country and feeding it live into this computer model but yeah i think That's that one that cool. neva's got it's um not public access yet yeah i hope it potentially hope yeah and i mean like it. but then like yeah and then like met service or like and neither they sell that information off to windy and um all these other companies sort of thing uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is pretty cool. I like it. I hope, I hope it, um, yeah, hope it gets some traction. I think they were trying to trying to make a sell for it or something. That the conference coming up. Good stuff if they do. Yeah, it's good. So they were the Niwa. I, mm. I follow them on Facebook. They were yep. the only ones that um, that got accurately predicted the the storm thingy that you guys had up in Gisborne recently. And, and they were the only ones that had, there was a flood that we had here in Canterbury. When was that? Like a couple of years ago. And like, no one knew about it. It wasn't going to have, it wasn't even on the news. It was like a normal weather warning watch thingy on the Met service. But they had this um, on the Facebook, on the Niwa Facebook, a really cool, like they do these wicked little, um, what do you call those? Data, like a picture showing the total rainfall over time. And they did one of those for yeah. for this flood that we had here. And it was it was like almost exact and it, it was the only um well it's only them or Met Service, isn't it really? But Met Service didn't really give it that mm. the same amount of coverage or clout as what Niwa predicted. Yeah. I I always used to religiously um, go into Niwa and look at like the seasonal predictions because they tell you like if it's going to be a dry season, wet season, windy season. Um, so it's like it's a little page that you can go to and it's for each region. It's quite handy. Handy predicting mm. what your work, work will be coming up for the you know coming three months. Yeah. What yeah. do you use, Hoddy? You go look outside in the morning. No, windy. Nothing yeah. as technical as you guys. Yeah, I think I was windy as well before I knew about Niwa. Mm. Windy. No, that's yeah, most of it comes down to actually walking outside and having a look too, doesn't it? Yeah. No, knowing yeah, knowing what your weather's going to do. Just Looking a rough for those little indicators. Yeah. Do do you tell your farmers what to tell you? Like do you like <laughs> when you ring a farmer, do you expect them to know what to tell you? Or do you no. just you ask you specific questions? Yeah. So well, if there's farmers on if there's farmers on here listening that wanna give the best and most accurate weather forecast or weather not forecast but Actual conditions outside. What what would you recommend they tell the the pilot when they ring? 
If it's me asking, I'd be saying, how warm is it? Is the grass wet? Can you see the stars? Um, is the breeze warm or is the breeze cold? Yeah. Mm. In what way is the breeze coming from? Yeah. Yeah, they're good. I also ask what, if I know the area well enough and I know where the farmhouse is, I'll ask how high the cloud is up on whatever hill or get them to say, can they see yeah. what, what hill and where the cloud is on that hill or somewhere? Because, mm. yeah, yeah, cloud well, is a Another good one is asking, can, can you hear the trees blowing? Like, because, yeah. like, quite often that'd be dead calm down by your house, but they can hear the gum trees blowing, then it's a pretty good indicator it's a bit of wind about. Yeah, true. Yeah. Knowing That's where your house is makes a big difference. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's really good. That's really good. <laughs> you look like you're fuck. You're fucked. You look like you're under the weather, mate. I love it. My temperature's going all over Should the we... shop. Yeah, you're pulling me Is down. <laughs> Sorry, hoodie. I'm trying not to. <laughs> Should we leave it at that and let you get some sleep? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, we've done well. What are we at? Yeah, oh, yeah. fifty minutes. We've done, We've very done well. bloody well. We can. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it, oaf. <laughs> <laughs> I might just fucking go to sleep here. <laughs> yeah, I moved everything into the lounge, so I'm on my comfy chair tonight. <laughs> yeah, you don't have any nice photos behind you tonight. No, no, just a an empty shelf, half empty shelf. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, that's bloody that's bloody good, mm-hmm. bloody good, gentlemen. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 um, we'll reconvene when we're all bloody fit and well. Yeah, yeah, that sounds magic. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. See you all. All right.